0: This morning, I want to talk about unity, unity in the body of Christ. And if I was to title this message, I would title it unity through diversity. There are many thoughts. People have a lot of ideas on what unity is all about. And there's various definitions of what it means, uh, what it looks like, why it's necessary, how unity comes about. And today I want to just talk about some of these topics today and and I want to um, make some clarifications. Unity, let me state up some, some comments right at the beginning. Unity may have been thought by many people, myself included really over the years, and I'm learning now that it's not all this, but unity is not uniformity. We commonly think of unity as everybody being the same. That's not biblical. Unity is not uniformity. God made us all unique. We are unique in our persons and our personalities and our characteristics. So far be it for any church leader or any pastor to come and try to take away your uniqueness. Take away your personality. Take away the characteristic traits that you have that make you who you are and try to make you uniform to fit into a church. So unity is not uniformity. And hopefully through this study, we're going to find out that unity really comes more in the sense of diversity as we talk about it. So what is basic unity about then? If it's not uniformity, what is it? Now, certainly there must be an agreement in biblical directives regarding salvation and regarding the basic tenets of our faith. So our unity must be in agreement, but not necessarily in uniformity in how we look or how we act. But certainly we need to have those things in our life that are solid biblical foundations that are unshakable. I mean, if, it, if we have to have some things in our life that are not negotiable that are, this is a solid rock of what the Bible says and I'm going to stand on that and I'm not going to let anything or anybody shake me off that. And it's important that we have that because if we don't have that, then when the adversity of life comes and the storms of life come your way, you won't have anything to stand on because you don't know what is unshakable. The tenets of our faith, biblical salvation, biblical context of living a holy life are unshakable, non-negotiable factors in being unified in a church. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7 gives us a, a, a beginning of the foundation. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. That is one of the basic foundational truths that we must agree on. If we're going to have unity, we must agree that Jesus saved us. Nothing through what I can do personally. It's not through my righteous lifestyle. It's not through my works or my actions. It's through the blood of Christ that we are saved. And there are some things of that nature that we just don't question. We don't have the right to question some of those factors and still be considered a Christian church and to be unified and have unity over these principles. However, there are things that we can be in disagreement on, but yet, according to the next verse, verse 9 in Titus chapter 3, it says, But avoid foolish controversies, and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. So there are things that it's okay that we don't necessarily agree on, but those aren't the fundamental philosophies and fundamental tenets of our faith when it comes to Christianity. For example, I was researching this, and I ran across this from from a Bible teacher named Matt Slick. What a name for a Bible teacher. Matt Slick. It is all right to have differences of opinion on non-essential matters like worship styles or days, pre-trib rapture, post-trib rapture, Arminianism, Calvinism, etc. Whether you believe one or the other do not affect salvation. Yet far too many Christians use these non-essential differences as justifications for division and sometimes even incite anger. When this occurs, the love of God in our hearts is sacrificed to our pride. Instead of saying to one another, I am right and you are wrong, we should be saying something like, it is certainly possible that you are correct. Now let's work together to glorify God and expand his kingdom. Perhaps this is too simplistic, but at least it displays an attitude of humility that helps to bring unity. It is the devil that wants us to fall into the self-abuse of division and bickering. Unity in its, in its simplest form is agreeing on the godly principles that bring us all into the family of God and then avoiding the stupid little quarrels that the enemy would use to bring disunity and unrest in the ranks. So let's just base our unity of our church on the foundational premises of who Jesus is. And then let's not worry about all the other things, whether we're once saved, always saved, or, or not. Here's the fact. Live a holy life, and it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> Just live for Jesus. And a lot of these little trivial matters that we want to argue about and discuss and think they're so important mean nothing because I'm living a holy life. Therefore, it doesn't make any difference, whether it's post-trib or pre-trib. Live a holy life. Be ready when the when the rapture takes place that you're ready. It doesn't make any difference if it's really mid-trib or post-trib. Who cares? fact of the matter is I'm going up, and I'm prepared to, to, to weather the storms of life because I am basing my unity, I'm basing my factual belief, not on somebody else's opinion, but on the Word of God. I don't really care what Arminianism is. I can't even say it. Armenianism is? Or Calvinism? That's a man stuff. Those are man ideas and philosophies that really are more geared toward dividing the body of Christ than to building it up. Unity says, I'm all about Jesus. Jesus is my center point. Jesus is my focal point. I want to do, live, work. and and honor Him every day in my worship, like we talked about earlier, that I just want to focus on God, He's worthy, and nothing else matters when it comes to the little trivial issues of religion. In all honesty, I hate the word religion, because it, it minimizes the relationship of who God is. I can be religious about my golf game, But yet my relationship with Jesus is so much more important than any man-made thought. Paul tells the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. He says, Christ encourages you and his love comforts you. God's spirit unites you and you are concerned for others. Now make me completely happy. Live in harmony by showing love for each other. Be united in what you think. As if you were only one person. Don't be jealous or proud, but be humble and consider others more important than yourselves. See, this passage tells us that I'm not the creator of unity. God is. God creates unity. The Holy Spirit brings unity to a body. Not people. People bring uniformity. Because... We all want people to be like we want people to be. Another, you know, and here's here's in basic honesty. Here it is: you like people who are like you, and I like people who are like me. And I want people to be all like be like me, and then we'd be great. If you guys would just learn to be like me, we'd have a great church. Who laughed? It's the truth, Chris. My wife did. <laughs> There you go. There's honesty right there coming right at you. Man, that just knocked me down, didn't it? But that's not true. You don't want to be like me because I lack in too many areas that I can't work, I can't do. And we all don't want to be like you either. All right? We want to be as God created us. We want to be the way He's made us. And we want to let the Holy Spirit bring the unity in our church. Amen? If he brings unity, we will stand undivided. Jesus said, A house divided against itself will fall. And if we are divided against ourselves in any way, shape, or form, it's the uniformity of man that is getting into the unity of God. But yet, I say all that, but yet, if I continue to read Scripture, I see that there is a cooperative effort. In unity. God creates it. We keep it. God creates, we keep. Live in harmony by showing love for each other. Be united in what you think as if you were only one person. So God is the creator of the unity, and I and you are the keeper of the unity. We have to do our work. We have to live and we have to, do, we have to apply the power of the Holy Spirit that created the unity in the first place. We have to now utilize that power to keep the unity in our spirit. God saves, we keep. What are some basic characteristics of unity in the body? Well, verse 3 tells us humility. Number one, humility. Verse 3 says, Don't be jealous or proud. But be humble and consider others more important than yourselves. See, putting Christ first, keeping him at the center point, allows us then to love other people and consider other people as more important than me. Now, that's hard to do. I understand that. Humility and generosity are easy words to say, but they are difficult to live. I understand that. I understand how difficult that is. But it's, but it's one of those key factors in maintaining a unified body. If we're going to be unified, if we're going to have unity in our midst, then pride has to go away. Pride and my rights over your rights have to be abolished. They will not coexist. Paul also talks in the Ephesian church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, here it is, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. See, we're instructed, we're to make effort. It takes work To keep unity. It takes work to be humble. It takes work to put others first. It takes work to keep Jesus at the center point of my life. It takes work to worship. Too many times the church is mistaken. We think that just because we're called the church of God or the assemblies of God or whatever we're called by denomination, that automatically we're in. But lovingly, the truth is not that. Our our church affiliation means nothing if I don't have the relationship with Jesus as the first thing in my life. And then with that relationship comes unity with people. That's the strength of God's church. We're instructed by Paul here in Ephesians to, to be completely humble. Wow. See, humility is not the in thing in our culture today. I mean, the worldview is in your face, self-assertiveness, make your demands on society. I'm entitled to that. I deserve that. Take advantage of the humble people and anyone who gets in your way. That's the American dream, guys. That's what we're established on. I don't mean that in a negative sense altogether, but that's the fact, isn't it? You watch TV, you watch commercials, you watch uh, self-help shows, reality TV. It's all about getting over the next guy. All about winning at any cost. So now when you hear a church person talk about humility, it's not popular. Be completely humble. Completely means what? What does completely mean? Completely. It doesn't say partially. It doesn't say be humble in certain circumstances. It doesn't say be humble when you're in church, but proud on a job. Or proud at home, too proud to say you're sorry to your wife. Or too t- proud to say you're sorry to your child. And certainly children, not too proud to obey your parents. Humility comes in all circumstances, in all times, not partially or a little bit, but completely. And here's the tragicness of it all, is when the organized church has these carnal attitudes. See, God God doesn't determine success by an applause meter or the popularity polls. He doesn't look at this church as not successful or successful based upon how many people are here. I might. People might look at it and say, well, you're not a very big church. or You guys aren't very successful, are you? Uh, you're struggling, aren't you? Well, I struggle, but, my, but God's church is not. God's church is not struggling, but I may be. See, God does not look at it by the number of pews that are empty or the number of pews that are full that determine the success in his kingdom. What he's looking at is my heart and he's looking at your heart. And if he sees people that are heartfelt for Jesus, if he sees people that are worshiping him every day of the week, and I'm I'm not going to ever stop saying that, guys. We need to get onto that. We need to get into that worship every day because that's when God's pleased. That's when we're not grieving him. That's when the church of Jesus Christ is considered to be successful is when the people who make up his body are consistently living a godly life, calling him worthy to be praised. Amen. Humility is one of, the lead, one of the leading words of other words that are not popular in what Paul said to the Philippians. He says that we're to be gentle, we're to be patient, we're to be bearing with one another in love. And these, these are not words that describe a man in today's world. I'm sorry. You, uh, you don't look at a man as a gentle man and call him, boy, he's, a, he's really going to conquer a lot. You don't look at a man that is patient and bearing one another in love as a man that's making a name for himself. And maybe that's the whole problem. Because if the man is trying to make a name for himself... Rather than living that a life that is worthy of the calling that he's received as a prisoner of the Lord like Paul was, that's the man that is gentle and humble, not self seeking, not self assertive, but is loving other people, as Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, was. Gentle or gentleness is not someone being walked over, but it it, it exudes strength and, and power under control. Matthew 5, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, this meek or gentle person is not the one that goes off in extremes, and, and but he's balanced and he's under control. He has every instinct and every passion under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's a meek man. A meek man is a man that's got power, that's strong, like that little video we just watched, girly men. Yeah. That big guy that the, the big guy that said, You want to say that again? See that man in all of his power can be meek. And there's nothing girly about that. Jesus was gentle. Jesus was a meek man. Jesus was the perfect example of power under control. How much more of a powerful man could, could any man be than Jesus? Can you name any man more powerful than Jesus? Any man in the whole world that ever lived, all put together, doesn't even begin to equal the power of Jesus. But yet Jesus was a gentle man. And he was a meek man. He is the epitome of power under control. And that's what we're to be, Christian men and ladies. Gentleness is a a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Patience. Another word that we don't like at all. Nobody likes patience. Anybody here like to be patient? Can you be honest with me? Does anybody like to be patient? No. We hate patience. It's terrible. But yet we can preserve church unity by being patient. If we exercise patience with God and fellow believers, we would cause less problems in the church, less dissension, less frustration, less friction in the body. Patience is an exercise of gentleness. Learning to be patient with people is an expression of learning to be gentle with people. Not everyone may be up to our level of spirituality in our opinion. And yet we can be very impatient with other people that aren't there. God forgive us for that. It's a good thing that God didn't send His judgment before all of us were saved. (laughs) God is a very patient God. He's very patient towards us. He was very patient towards Paul, who was the chief persecutor of the church. And if God wouldn't have been patient with Paul, you know where Paul would be today? In hell. Paul was no gifted man other than the fact that God was patient with him, waited for Paul. Paul was a terrible man before while he was Saul he was a persecutor of the church and with that he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 16 it says but, but for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life thank God for his patience for me and thank God for his patience for you and for this church Then we're to be bearing with one another in love. And this is an outworking of the attitude of the highest regard, that I can be patient for people and I can bear with people in love. See, it's the opposite of being a manipulator. A person that bears with somebody in love is the opposite of a manipulator. Nobody likes to be manipulated. How many here like to be sold anything? No, you like to make your own decision when that car salesman tells you how good that deal is. You don't want to be manipulated into that sale. You don't want to be manipulated into working in the church. You don't want to be manipulated by feeling guilty that somebody else isn't doing it. Therefore, you have to. Manipulation is not godly. So when I put all this together, we need to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's what Paul said. Now, this has verse is an amazing verse. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. What is a bond? Through the bond of peace. See, it takes effort, it takes humility, it takes gentleness, patience, lots of love to keep God's unity in the spirit. And then here comes this word bond. When I looked up the bond, that word bond in in the in the Hebrew, the definition of it was captive. It binds together. It's sinew. Something bonded together is not easily torn apart. Sinew is, is a ligament. Think of your knee, okay, or your elbow. You have ligaments that hold your knee together that allow it to, to be flexible, but yet not fall apart, right? I mean, think about what your knee does. How many times do you bend your knee in your life? But the ligament there that holds it together is very tough and durable, but yet it has motion, it has freedom. But with that, though, there also are boundaries, because your knee is only meant to bend one direction. How many here have twisted a knee? A knee isn't meant to be hyperextended. A knee isn't meant to bend the opposite direction. There are boundaries, but yet it's... But yet the sinew, the ligaments, hold the knee together with the flexibility that it's designed to operate under. That's what bonding, that's when we're bound to people, when we're bound in peace. That's a a good good, um, word picture because it is to be bound without the ability to come apart, but yet it has flexibility to move, flexibility to function as it's designed to function. And then peace, we're bound in the spirit of peace. The Hebrew for peace in this context is harmony, tranquility, safety, welfare, health, and often with an emphasis of lack of strife in relationships, peace. So the bond of peace Paul is referring to here is to a group of people that are captive to each other. They're bound together. We are bound together like a ligament, but yet we're allowing room to move and grow and to be themselves within proper boundaries with harmony, safety, health, and welfare for every person in their relationship with a lack of strife. That's how we're to be bound together. That's how we're to be bounded together. See, that's how God creates unity. Again, unity is not uniformity, but rather diversity really speaks more of unity when we talk about godly principles of, of unity. People have a tendency to want to be around other people like themselves, right? God is the creator of unity. Man is the creator of uniformity. The old saying is birds of a feather flock together. It's it's really true, isn't it? I mean, it it is true. You take a look at birds. You see blackbirds hanging with blackbirds and crows with crows and sparrows with sparrows. You don't see them normally intermingling their flocks. And it's comfortable for them just like it's comfortable for a church, just like it's comfortable for me to only want to be with people that are like me. Only be with people that, that are in my same social class, that are in my same um, circle of friends, that are in my same job or business or professional level, that I can associate with, that I can understand. We typically have similar likes and dislikes, and we can talk a similar language and embrace similar lifestyles. Basically, life is easier when I keep myself self-sequestered with people like myself. But that's not the biblical definition of unity. That's not what God's calling for in the church. Unity does not imply uniformity. What, What it does mean is that we are to allow Christians to be different As long as we agree on the fundamental philosophies of Christianity, I need you to be different than me. I need you to be who you are. You need me to be who I am. As long as we have the same common purpose, we have the same focal point, we have the same center point, we have the same uh, basic drive for, for glorifying Christ, then it's okay to allow ourselves to be diverse in our skills. So unity in the midst of diversity is allowing the grace of God to bring various people of different backgrounds, different giftings, different skills, different strengths, different weaknesses, different socioeconomic classes. All these people come together and and as God brings the unity, he binds us together like a ligament. He binds us together in all the different diversity of life that we have. And then we come together and then operate under his boundaries And functioning as a a healthy church, we grow physically and we grow spiritually. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, Paul again says, "...it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." Paul is saying here, he's giving good direction to the church, that there are people with multiple gifts that are going to come in, and they're designed to be that way. They're designed to be different, but we all come in with, this, with a very specific purpose, and that is to build the body of Christ, to build each other up. Not tear each other down, but to build each other up. Spiritual gifts are given to people of various kind. Everyone that God calls to be a Christian, let me tell you real quick, Everyone here that claims to be a Christian, you know what you are? You're a minister of the gospel. You are a minister of the gospel. Not just the pastor. Not just Jackie. We're all ministers of the gospel in the way that God has created you to minister. That's what I like so much about the the teaching that we're going through right now in Philippians. Matt Chandler brought up the first, the first session, how the, how the Philippian church was created was through the diversity of three different personalities. And how it's so important that we allow the diversity of, li, of living, the diversity of people's characteristics to be, um, to be encouraged in the church. Not to be discouraged because you will reach people that I can't. You have an inroad to people's lives that I don't or that nobody else does. And when you are operating under your giftings, under the ministry that God has established you under, you then will be an active participant of a healthy growing church. You will be bound with others in the same sense of unity and we will have a functioning body. Another teacher talked to this about, that I read, and, and he brought this point up about the pastor-teacher concept. And let me just read what he said. The pastor-teacher is like a coach. He strives to equip his men for winning ball games. He endeavors to tighten up flabby muscles and to train men to play well. In addition, he must also work in such a way as to get the men playing as a team. Petty squabbles and differences must be dealt with. Men must be united in spirit and working toward a common goal. Such is the responsibility of the pastor as well, shaping up the saints and getting individual members of the body of Christ to work together harmoniously. That's exactly what verse 12 said that in Ephesians 4, chapter 4. To the building up of the body of Christ. That's what we're to be doing. So to each, each person here is called to be doing what God has called you to do in the giftings that God has called you to, get, to, be, to be using as you and I, together, we build up the body of Christ. Now, what does a unified body look like? What does a growing body look like? Let's continue to read what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 14 and going to 16. Then we will, be no, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. There is no room in the church for lazy people. Can I say that and not offend anybody? Can I say that and not and not let anybody get upset with me because God is saying that we all have a job to do, and when you don't show up to do your job, the church suffers. Do you know that? When you don't think it's important to take up your role in the church, do you know that the unity suffers? Do you know that God has placed you at a particular place and time for you to be effective and effectual? And when you decide not to do that, do you know the church suffers? See, you don't think you're important. Maybe I don't think I'm important sometimes. But no matter what you do, it doesn't have to be a spiritual function. It has to be a function that God calls you to do. do. And when you do it, whether it's shoveling the driveway or taking out the garbage... Or singing in a choir. It's important. It's important that you do it with a heart of humility, heart of unity, the heart of "I'm doing this for God. I'm not doing it for man. You're doing it to please the Lord." And when we do that, that's not that's not being manipulative. Nobody's manipulating you into anything. It is you being obedient to the call of God in your life. If you want to call God a manipulator, go ahead. Try it. Go ahead. Call God a manipulator. But what he's saying, he says, says, listen, I love you so much. I want you to do the things that I've called you to do because it edifies the body. It strengthens the person next to you. And it will give you personally eternal rewards that will never fade. Unity lasts forever forever. Uniformity only lasts as long as people agree with me. (laughs) Unity lasts forever. What God establishes and the bond that I have with a Christian brother will last forever because I will walk the streets of heaven arm in arm with that man for eternity because we were bonded together here on earth with the common theme of loving Jesus. Uniformity will only last as long as I can get you to agree with me and I can agree with you and we can look alike that's the man 's version of a unified church, but god 's version is to say no, it's all about me guys it's not about you it's not about what you think, and I say that in a loving way. See, love and truth are is interesting. love and truth go to hand, go together like a hot dog and a bun, like pea like peas and carrots. <laughs> I mean, love and truth go to, they, they fit together like a hand in a glove. i mean if I love you. If you love me, tell me the truth. Don't tell me what I want to hear if it's not the truth. Because ultimately you're only hurting me if if you're telling me partial truths. Because if I'm not hearing it, if I'm not really hearing what what the truth is, then I'm going to ultimately be made a fool of later. Or worse yet, I'm going to suffer the consequences of of the wrathful God. Because somebody didn't love me enough to tell me the truth. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. Love and truth always go together. Love tells complete truth, not partial truths. So how do we, how do we conclude a message like this? I don't know. In fact, Jackie, you can come and help me conclude it. But here, here's the thing about a, a message on church unity really has no ending. I mean, there is no way to close this topic out and say it's done. We've talked about it all. There's no way to, to, to say that, okay, we're going to close this chapter and we're never going to talk about this again because church unity it has to be living for the future. Because I believe there's going to be a lot of people that are going to come into this church that aren't going to be like us. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to come in that are going to have needs and challenges that we have not dealt with in the past. And if I'm looking at church unity as uniformity, then those people aren't going to fit. They're not going to fit into us because they're not like us. So that's why unity is one of those topics that will always be an open book. It will always be open that we are accepting of people, that we're gentle, we're loving, we're humble, we're meek, but at the same time, we are rock solid on the fundamentals of our faith. No man is going to shake me off of who Jesus is. No man or no woman or nothing is going to take me out of, the, out of my focal point on who Jesus is and who he needs to be in my life. And I, I can accept a different opinion on different things and I can do my best to continue to accept different things. I'm not perfect in that. But don't argue with me when it comes to God. Don't argue with me when it comes to who Jesus is. I think if we were to take Luke twenty seven, Luke chapter ten, verse twenty seven to heart, I think this would really give us the, the full the full picture of it all. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, completely humble is completely humble. Loving the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind is like being completely humble. There is no partiality here, is there? I mean, if I really could love... Jesus this way. Man, then loving people would be easy. Help me, Lord. So I guess the way to end this sermon is this. Is that we just close our eyes and we just self-examine ourselves and say, Lord, where am I not loving you enough? In what area am I not giving up of my life to you? In what area am I not worshiping you? Where are the idols in my life? Where are the failures? Where are the things that I haven't given you completely And the only way we're really going to have unity, the way God wants us to have unity, is that we just give Jesus everything we have all week long. Amen. Amen. Can we sing that song? You know, I know that on Sunday mornings after a sermon like this, it's easy to sing this song and really think, wow, I'm going to give it to all to Jesus this week. And I encourage you to do your best. But I know that you're going to fail. I know I'm going to fail. But here's my question, or here's my encouragement, is to say, I'm sorry. Say, Jesus, it's still my heart. My heart is to surrender to you. It's my intention, it's my goal, it's my aspiration. So, God, in my failures, please forgive. And here's the the beauty of it all. He does. He does. He doesn't expect you to be perfect this week. He just wants your heart. He wants your heart. Amen? Father, we love you, Jesus, and we just come before you. God, we just want your heart to be ingrained in our heart, Lord. I just pray that we would have truly your unity in our in our minds and our hearts and our lives god i pray as a church that we would be so united in you that we would never even consider a faction we would never even consider an argument god that isn't worthy to be talked about help us avoid the foolish controversies and the quarrels and the arguments that are not necessary but god focus our life on you God, I pray that you would give us further grace this week as we walk, as we go through our homes, as we go into our daily lives. Further grace, Jesus, to allow you to be the king of our life and know, Lord, that you are holding us up in the midst of our difficulties and our failures. We love you, Jesus, and we praise your name. We honor you today. In Jesus' name, amen.